have been sightings, unexplainable to the human reason. Some have sensed these spirits, but have kept these encounters as untold stories. Ghosts, angels, demons. We've heard of these unexplainable events, an experience we hope to never have. Things that can only be known as the paranormal. All right, here we go. Uh, you and I are closing out uh, a series called Paranormal. Not paranoid, paranormal. And uh, it's been a conversation about the idea that there's stuff going on around us that we don't normally get, we don't necessarily sense or see. It doesn't change the fact that it's absolutely real. And you and I have had a pretty fun time because we've been talking about stuff like seances and can you talk to dead people after they die and ghosts and demon possession, just all sorts of really funky, fun, weird stuff. The reality is most of us are probably not going to be doing a seance next week. And so some of it, although it was intriguing, isn't necessarily day-to-day for you and me. What you and I are going to do together today is day-to-day. This is where the battle lines are drawn because Scripture says, you and I do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against an enemy in the supernatural realm. His name is Satan, who absolutely wants to destroy our lives. And so you and I, you can't play Switzerland, you can't go, hey, I'm going to be neutral in this contest. You're in it, the Bible says. So the question is, if you're in it, how do you win it? And we're going to have that conversation today. Today is the day to put your brains in gear, to think a little harder, to listen a little more closely, because today can change your life. Now, here's the deal. If you're at war... The most incredible strategic advantage you could ever get over an enemy is figure out where the enemy is going to attack. I mean, if you knew their battle plans, even before the battle started, you can already put into place countermeasures. Uh, You would have the battle won, so to speak, before even the first shot was fired. So, for instance, if if you knew that the enemy was going to attack on Tuesday at 12 o'clock right across this river... Well, then you could go to the soldiers who were defending that river and you could say, hey, look, here's what you're going to do. Pretend to fight, but keep falling back. Let the enemy get sucked in. Let them follow you when they think you're retreating. We'll sweep around the sides. We'll close in on before they know it. We'll surround them and they'll have to surrender. If you knew the battle plan of the enemy, it gives you an amazing advantage. Now, here's why I say that. Because scripture today is going to unfold the battle plan of Satan. You and I are going to see step by step exactly how he tries to manipulate and steer our lives. And because you and I are going to expose it, you and I are going to be that much more prepared to win it. Okay? So grab your Bibles today. We're going to go after this together. Hopefully make huge strides. So here we go. It's James chapter 1. If you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and start working to the left, you're going to find this book of James. James chapter 1. And it's literally a step-by-step battle plan for the enemy that exposes him and gives you and me all sorts of advantage. James chapter 1. We'll start together in verse 12. Here's what it says. Blessed. Blessed is the man who perseveres. 
who puts their stake in the ground, who stands strong in the hardest moments of life. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, when she has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life that God has promised for those who love him. I'm going to serve God. I'm not going to deviate. I'm on this track. I'm not going to let the enemy take my ground. But when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one, you ready? Watch this. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away. So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying, look, look, the vast majority of the time when you and I fall into, when we begin to struggle with temptation... It's not because the enemy's gotten involved. The vast majority of the time is, it's our own, you ready? Stupidity. It's our, it's our own bad decisions that actually, the vast majority of the time, initiate the problems that you and I get into with temptation. Matter of fact, it says this first stage, this first step of heading the wrong direction is called being dragged away. Maybe another way of saying this is, it's the curiosity stage. It's this moment where I justify it to myself and I say, look, look, look. I, I'm not going to do anything. I, I'm just going to take a look. I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna observe what others are doing, but I'm not, I'm not gonna do anything myself. It's the curiosity stage. It's the guy who struggles with lust. And he says, yeah, well, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have HBO on my TV, but I'm not gonna watch any of the late night programming. I'm not gonna do that. I'm stronger than that. I'm, I'm it'll, it won't affect me. You get what's happening. He's placing his life in a position of vulnerability. It's the woman who says, look, I know, I know I've got to struggle with gossip. I know I do. I, I know I've got that propensity. But I'm still going to go out and hang out with my girlfriends who all eat everybody's lunch. I'm just going to go, I'm, but here's the deal. I've already promised myself I'm not going to join in. I'm not. If they get gossiping, I'm simply going to take notes as prayer requests. That's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to be part of it. And it's this moment in which you and I allow ourselves to place ourselves in proximity, telling ourselves, you ready? I'm, no, 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 no. I'm stronger than that. I, I, I've already committed. I've already resolved in my heart. I'm not going to give in to that. I'm just kind of taking a look. Can I just say to you out loud? That the moment you have to have that conversation, the minute you have to begin to justify, whether to some other person or in your own heart, to go, look, 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 no, 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 I'm not going there. I'm, I, I'm, I'm capable of keeping it. The minute you have to justify, that's all the more reason to push the pause button and go, okay, wait a minute. Am I beginning to place my life in a position of vulnerability for no actual good reason? I'm youth pastoring in Yucaipa, California, and we have this amazing youth group, and we're having this huge impact on the high school there. Lo and behold, comes September, and a whole group of our kids go to a kickoff school party at one of the kids' houses. There's drinking, there's all sorts of kids going into back rooms and having sex. So I called my kids, and I went, 
I'm hearing you went to that party. What, what were you thinking? And they said, no, 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 Lynn. We didn't do anything. We didn't participate. We just went and watched. Matter of fact, we think it was a really good testimony that we were there and not participating. And I'm saying to them, look, guys, that's not a good testimony. That's just stupid. Why? We're ready. Why would you place yourself in a position where doing the wrong thing, doing something that is going to be filled with regret is only a half a moment away. It's just one ill-lived thought away. Why would you place yourself in that level of vulnerability in your life? There's just nothing wise about it. Now, guys, I understand having that conversation with a 14-year-old. I get the naivete, the lack of life experience that a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 16-year-old doesn't understand that moment, that, that curiosity killed the cat. But why are you and I struggling with that? Based on what happened the last time you and I got that close to sin. Based on what happened the last time we went out with that group of friends. Based on what happened the other night when we were flipping through channels late night. Based on that, why in the world would you and I, in the midst of curiosity, in the midst of the dragged away stage, put ourselves in a position of vulnerability where doing the wrong thing was only a half a thought away? You know, it's interesting. Scripture says our enemy, Satan, roams about like a lion seeking whom they can devour. Well, you get who the lion picks off, right? It's the water buffalo that puts themselves in the wrong position at the wrong time. Haven't you ever wanted to stop and just go, dude, stay in the middle of the pack. Let them get the guys on the fringe first. You got plenty of time to run. Why are you standing out there by yourself? Why did you expose yourself? Why did you make yourself vulnerable? Dude, you could have had a long life in the middle. So I'm just wondering, why is you and I, as we claim to be followers, what in the heck are you and I doing putting our lives out there in places of vulnerability? Why are we justifying and going, no, 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 I'm not going to do it. I know the last time I was with those friends, I know it, but I'm not going to do it again. Why are you and I so curious about sin? That we want to get right up to the edge of it without doing it. Why wouldn't you and I stay so we can't get dragged away? There's a second step. So back to the passage. Verse 14, here's what it says. But each one is tempted when, by their own evil desire... He gets dragged away. He gets curious. We get too close. We get up there. We place our life in a position of vulnerability. And then you ready? Enticed. See, here is the moment in which the enemy responds. Because here's what Satan does. Satan goes, oh, wait a minute. So that's the sin that intrigues you. Because see, the enemies watched as you and I got up to the edge and said, well, no, I, you know, I like having those channels. No, 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 no. I like hanging with that group of gals. No, no, no. See, here's the deal. I, I, am super materialistic. And so I'm, I'm, and the moment you and I expose that to the enemy, then the enemy immediately says, oh, I get it. I know exactly what's going to entice you to do exactly the wrong thing. And in that moment, you ready? The enemy goes fishing. 
The enemy in that moment decides, hey, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to entice you. His conversation with us goes something like this. You get that God's withholding from you. You, you, you understand that the one thing you really need is the one thing that God doesn't get. And, and no, 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 it's, it's not that God is bad. It's not. It's not that God's got evil intention for you. The problem is God's actually too good. And God doesn't understand that since you're not as, there's something else you need. That's just not on the good list. And you'll never be fulfilled. And he won't get it. So you ready? So let me give you the one thing that God doesn't know or won't understand to give you. And guys, 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 in that moment, all he's simply trying to do is entice you. He does not have your best interest at heart. He is not actually trying to be helpful to you. He's trying to catch you. How many of you go fishing? Okay, good. There's three of us, so you'll get this really well. That's great. I'm glad I chose this illustration instead of some others. All right. All right. So get the principle. When fishermen go fishing, they don't care what the fish are biting. It's why they take a tackle box full of lures. Because here's what every fisherman knows. That whatever the fish were biting last week is probably not what they're biting on this week. And he doesn't care what the fish are biting on. As long as the fish bite. Which means, hey, if, if, if lust is your big thing today, then let's do lust. Hey, if materialism is your big thing today, let's do materialism. If you're all about gossip and putting other people down, let's do gossip. He doesn't care. It's not about your best interest. It's about whatever will cause you to bite. Here's the plan. The plan is simply to get you to believe the worm is juicy. To to believe that that's the one thing that God is denying you and that you really need. See, and and the the idea is, if I can simply dangle this in front, whatever that is, if I can dangle this in front of you, and if I can get you to believe, see, see, all I've got to get you to do is cross that line into sin. That's all I got. I don't care what, just as long as I can get you to believe you need the worm. Hey guys, here's what I've always wondered. How many times has the fish been sitting there going, you know that dude up there with the rod and the string attached to it? What a helpful guy. He's, he's trying to feed me. Guys, get this. Guys, this has got to sink in. Satan's not trying to feed you. There is nothing about this interaction that we're describing right now that has any part of it that's intended to be helpful for you. It's all about enticing you across the line 
to get you to believe that you need this more than you need God. That's the game. Let me ask you a question. If Satan was going to lure you, what would he use? What would be the thing he would dangle in front of you that you would half believe? Boy, if I follow God, I may miss that. Boy, if I was ever totally surrendered to Jesus, I would miss out on what's the thing that he could dangle in front of you that would be most likely to entice you. Because it's coming. It's coming. And if you know ahead of time exactly where he's coming and exactly what he's going to try to tempt you with, in that moment when you see the green little woolly booger shiny thing come in the water, you can go, I know exactly what that is. And that guy with the pole does not have my best interest at heart. It's the enticement stage. Back to the passage. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire. In other words, I got curious. I got kind of carried away. I went over to the edge. I took a look. I wasn't going to do anything. I was just going to see what was happening. And is dragged away and enticed. Immediately, the enemy responded and said, Boy, if that's your weak spot, if that's where I can gain a foothold in your life, if that's where I can get you to deny your Lord, then that's what I'll promise. I'll entice you. And are you ready? And then after desire has conceived. This is that moment. It's the moment in your and my heart where we say, If I could, if I could do that and my wife would never find out. If I could stay on the computer and look at that and no one would ever know. If I could buy that and my husband would never see the receipt. I'd do it. If I could, I would. And when that moment happens... In our hearts, you ready for this? Sin is conceived. In that very moment in which you and I say, you ready? If I could, I would. You and I cross a line. And sin, just like in real life when you don't even notice the moment of conception, very often in our hearts and lives as Christians, we don't even notice that moment. It's the moment we say, if I could... I would. It's exactly what Jesus was addressing. Remember in Matthew chapter 5 when he said to us, he said, look, 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 you've heard, don't commit adultery. But what I'm telling you is, is that if you look at a woman with lust, you're committing adultery in your heart already. Because Jesus is saying, look, 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 even though you haven't acted out on it, what you need to know is in that moment when you say, look, if my wife would never know, if I could steal and never be found, if, if I could lie and nobody would catch me in the lie, if I could, I would... Your heart has moved across that line. You have sinned in that moment. If I could, 
I'm not going to because I think I would get caught. I'm not going to because someone would find, but if I could, I would. And something changes in us. Sin is conceived. You get how we justify that moment, right? Here's, here's usually what we say to ourselves. I'm going to follow God in every other part of my life. I'm, I'm going to be obedient. It's just there, There's just this one part of my life that I know I can't surrender. There's this one part of my life that I'm still going to hang on to. Which makes me a pretty good Christian, right? Because I'm obeying God in everything else. There's just this one area of my life. How many hooks... Does it take to land a fish? One. And how many how many areas of disobedience is it going to take for Satan to mess your life over? One. If I could, I would. It's the conception stage. Back to the passage. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he gets carried away. You get curious. I get a little too close to the edge. I'm just going to look. I'm not going to touch. And then the enemy entices. The enemy says, look, you're right. That's the one thing God's denying you. You need it in order to be happy. Isn't it interesting? Think about this. That the very first time that Satan encountered a human, he lied. And the lie was, don't eat of the tree. God's trying to deny you. It's the one thing you need to be happy. Are you shocked he's telling the same lie? So everyone then ends up getting enticed, and then desire conceives, if I could, I would, and then you ready? And gives birth. And there's a moment. There's a moment in our lives in which, because we've already lived with, if I could, I would, that suddenly it looks like the opportunity has presented itself. Suddenly it looks like, you know what, I might be able to get away with it. I might, I might be able to do this and nobody ever know. I, I could do this and, and no one's going to catch on. And because in my heart I've already said, if I could, I would. And now all of a sudden I step across and I actually act out on my actions. See, this is the guy who sits in his office going, hey, you know what, I mean, my secretary looks pretty good. But I'm never going to do anything because I, I'd get caught and people would know. And then suddenly comes that moment and they go, well, wait, wait a minute. I don't think anybody will know. I don't think anybody will catch on. And because I've already conceived it in my heart, I'm now birthing it in my life. See, this is the woman who said, look, you know, if I could, if I could ever just badmouth that other woman and tell everybody what a horrible woman she is, if I could just slander her name all over the place, I would, but I probably can't because I don't have any friends. But if I could, I would, you know, and then all of a sudden there's someone to talk to and, hey, here's my opportunity. This is my once in a lifetime opportunity to get the very thing that God is denying me. And suddenly I step in and I birth sin. You know, it's interesting because in in the hearts of a lot of Christians that go, well, wait a minute. Jesus already said, if you think it in your heart, it's like you've already done it, so it's probably just no big deal. I just might as well do it. I already thought it. It's not true. That's not what Jesus was teaching. Jesus wasn't saying that conceiving it in your heart, being lustful or thinking it or 
is the same thing as doing it. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was just simply saying that when you conceive it in your heart, when you think it in your heart, something sinful has happened. But guys, I'm just going to, you just need to get this. When you and I actually act out on our sin, when you and I put our sin into practice, when we give birth to our sin, it takes this thing to a whole different level. And matter of fact, you and I, when we act out on our sin, when we cross that line and bring it to life, create a splash zone of consequence. Suddenly what we've done is going to affect not just ourselves, but tons of other people. There's tons of fallout when you and I give birth to sin. And how many times have we lied and said, oh, no, 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 I'm just sinning to myself. I mean, I'm not hurting anybody else with what I'm doing. It's just me I'm hurting. Baloney. There's no such thing. It's the 18-year-old doing drugs and goes, no, 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 the only person I'm hurting with drugs is me. No, you're not. Every dollar you steal from the family to pay for your drugs... Every time you can't keep a job because you're on drugs and somebody else is having to support you to support your habit. Every time you have to go to rehab. Every time your family has to do intervention. Every time, every time, every time. Somebody else is affected. It's the guy who's so stinking arrogant and so prideful that he can't keep a job. You realize you're affecting your family. Your arrogance is affecting your family. Because every nine months they got to go through job transition with you. Your sin is not your sin. And every, and here's the part you got to get. The people you love the most are the ones who have to live with your sin. They're in the splash zone. This is parents who go, look, 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 here's the deal. We're just going to get a divorce. It'll be better for the kids. All right, help me out a minute. Help me out a minute. So you're living in sin because you're fighting all the time. And you're saying, look, 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 it'll be better for the kids because then we won't, you know, they won't have to hear us fight. So you're already saying things to your wife that nobody has business saying to their wife. So you're being sinful in that moment. And she's responding. And she's criticizing. She's saying things that no wife should ever say to a husband. So you're living in sin. And now the decision is, in order to make that sin better, we're going to sin by having an unbiblical divorce, and somehow that's going to be better for the kids. Baloney. How much better to go back and fix your marriage and do the right thing in the first place? Guys, I'm just going to tell you, you don't ever give birth to sin that you don't create a splash. How many of you have gone to SeaWorld? Okay? Killer whales. Right? Killer whale, you know, and you walk in there, you don't have to get very far in, all of a sudden there's all these benches and they're marked and they say, if you sit here, you will get wet. It's called a splash zone. Imagine if Shamu said, well, you know, that's not really my fault. I'm just swimming in my pool. I'm not affecting anybody else. And dude, you just need to hear this. The minute you give birth to your sin, you are Shamu. And there are all sorts of people out there getting splashed by the consequences of your decisions. It's called giving birth to sin. I, I just wonder, 
I, I just wonder if there are any of us in the room today that would just in a moment of honesty have to say, you know, I, I know I'm living in sin. I know I've got places of disobedience. Then pause. Look around you. Because here's my best guess. The people you love most in life are being wounded by your sin. It's what happens when you give birth to sin. Back to the passage. Verse 14, here we go. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away, becomes curious. I'm just going to go take a look. And then is enticed. The enemy sees exactly where that vulnerable moment is. Hey, here's the juicy worm. It's the one thing God's not giving you. Come on, come on. And after desire has conceived, if I could, I would. I'm not going to do it because I might get caught. But if I could get not get caught, I might do this. And then that amazing opportunity comes. Hey, I can, I can, I, no one's watching. And I give birth to sin. And people around me are deeply affected. And then finally, you ready? And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You get what it's saying? It's saying, guys, the end of this conversation, the end of where we're... It's death. If if you stay on this road, if you keep heading the way you're heading, something dies. The fisherman is not trying to hook the fish so that he can get him in the boat and give him a massage. Satan is not trying to mess up your life so that he can help your life. This ends in death. And it may be, it may be spiritual death. And, and here's what you need, I'm not saying God turns his back on you. I'm not, I'm, I'm just saying You realize that when you and I live in sin, something in my relationship with God changes. Something dies. There's a level of intimacy that is lost when I choose to live in sin in defiance of God. And you guys get this because you've had physical friends who something happened in your relationship. Someone said something, someone behaved in some way, and something was forever changed in that relationship and it was never quite the same. And scripture just say, look, when you choose to live in sin, something in your relationship with God changes and dies and you miss out. It may actually be physical friends. There may be decisions you make and your friends just go, look, I can't afford to live. I mean, if you're going to keep doing drugs, if you're going to keep being a liar all the time, I can't afford to be around you while you're lying. I can't be with you when you're gossiping. Your mouth is so vile. And I, I just have to keep my distance. I can't afford you. And something dies within that friendship. You get that when you sin, something dies in your future. See, so you sin and you're arrogant and you lose that job. You realize whatever track you were on, whatever direction God was leading you in, and now you've changed that with your sin, you realize your future's different now. When you go through that divorce, your future is different now. When you and I sin, something in our future dies with it. And he says, look, you just need to get. This thing leads to death. It's interesting. 
there's a type of monkey called the gibbons monkey. It lives in uh, Asia. And gibbons monkey brains are considered a delicacy. So hunters will go out to try to get the gibbons monkey because they can sell the brains on the marketplace, get lots of money. The only problem is gibbons monkeys are a little bit hesitant to part with their brains. And uh, Gibbons monkeys have the capacity to leap huge distances. Matter of fact, they've been recorded. You ready for this? Leaping like 50 feet from tree to tree. That's huge leap. So here's what they love to do with the hunters that come out to get their brains. They love to play with them. So what they'll do is they let the hunter get to the very bottom of the tree. He starts to lift his blowgun to get to the monkey. And the monkey just goes, go. Jumps 50 feet to the next tree. Now the hunter has to walk to the next tree. And they wait for him to get ready. And then they jump to the next tree. And they just do this till they wear the hunter out. It's a lot of fun for a Gibbons monkey. Not so fun for the hunter. The hunters have come up with an ingenious idea. Make the monkey believe you have something they need. And so here's what they've done. They take coconuts. They cut a hole in the top. Just big enough for a monkey to fit their hand in. They empty the coconut out. They attach a chain to the end of it. And to the other end of the chain, a stake. They then take the coconut, in plain sight of the monkey, drive the stake into the ground, and then while the monkey is watching, they drop in a couple pieces of candy and a couple pieces of aluminum foil, because it's shiny. And then they walk away. The Gibbons monkey, absolutely filled with curiosity, seeing that the hunter is gone, goes, Ah, I'm just going to go take a look. Nothing will happen. Sound familiar at all? Now they look inside the coconut, and it is enticing. That that little shiny piece of aluminum foil, that little piece of... Oh, Nelly. Looks like the one thing they really need. And in the heart of the Gibbons monkey, if I could, I would. And they stick their hand in, and they grab the piece of candy. Now, here's the ingenious thing about the trap. Once the monkey's hand is around the piece of candy making a fist, it no longer fits outside the coconut. The monkey's trapped. And a Gibbons monkey will not let go. So now the hunter, even hours later, comes walking back, and the monkey's still sitting there, with his hand in the trap. And even though the monkey can see the hunter coming, he will not let go of that piece of candy because that piece of candy is important. And the hunter walks up with a club and bashes his brains in. It's death. And guys, I'm just telling you, There are some of us in this room and the enemy's got you and me so messed over and you and I are hanging on to a piece of candy and somewhere he's convinced us in our hearts. If we let that go, our life will never be okay and will never be fulfilled. And that piece of candy is so important, we're not going to release it. And I'm just telling you, death is coming. Let go. Let go. The best thing you can do, let go.
Here's how the passage concludes. Verse 16. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Here's what I was saying. Look, look, guys, I get it. I get that Satan convinced you that this is what you want and that this is what's going to fulfill. I get it. But don't be deceived, it says. Every good thing, everything you're hoping for in life, everything that's going to fill up your soul comes from God. It does not come from the enemy. Don't get fooled in this conversation. And the best thing you can do, because some of us in the room, let's just be honest, some of us in the room are right up there being really, really curious about sin. Some of us are sitting right here and, and, and we, we're sweating bullets of temptation and we're going, man, oh man, I'm, I, may, maybe that is the one thing I'm missing in life. Maybe I need that worm. Some of us have already said in our hearts, boy, look, if I, if I could get away with it, I would do it. Some of us are in the middle of it. Some of us are neck deep in it. Some of us. Some of us can see the hunter coming. And the most powerful thing you and I could do would be all the way back. All the way back and just say, no, 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 no. All of that is a lie. Everything I need is in Jesus. I'm not even curious about that. There's an amazing verse in the Bible. Maybe the coolest verse in all the Bible. So we're going to close with this. So grab your Bibles real quick. Coolest verse. This is going to help us. It's Proverbs chapter 27. If you're not familiar, if you go right to the middle of your Bible, you're going to find the book of Psalms. Turn right. You're going to go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 27. Maybe the coolest verse in all the Bible. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 27. Totally helpful. Here's what it says. You ready? Proverbs chapter 27, verse 7. Here it is. He who is full loathes honey, doesn't like honey. He who's full doesn't like honey, but the hungry, even what is bitter, tastes sweet. Some of you are going, that's the stupidest verse in the whole Bible. What? What? No, 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 no. Let me, let me help you here. This is cool. It's saying when you're really, really full, then even sweet things are not very tempting. How many of you did this last Thanksgiving? You went in and you said, look, I, this is the year. This is the year. I am not going to overstuff myself. And then by the time football came on, you were like, oh, if I roll over, I'm going to throw up. How many did that? Come on. How many did that? You are liars. You are stinking liars. That's your sin. I already just identified it. No. So this happens. This, you, you, you get there and all of a sudden you eat and you eat and you've already had like three pieces of pie. And then someone in the room says, uh, hey, uh, there's one piece of pumpkin pie left. And you've already got food like right up to here in your neck. And all of a sudden just the thought of eating that piece of pie and you're like... Because you're full. You're stuffed. And now suddenly pumpkin pie looks nasty. That's all it's saying. And it's saying in the moments 
when temptation comes, even if it was pumpkin pie, it was totally, if you were full, it wouldn't be nearly as tempting. And then it goes on to say, but when you're hungry, when you're running on empty, then even cruddy things taste good. How many times have you been down this? You're driving down the road, you're like, I'm starved out of my mind. And then all of a sudden you see McDonald's. And you're like, worst hamburger in the world. You're pulling in, you're like, I want five, five. Best hamburger I ever ate. It is not. You're hungry, dude. That's all scripture saying. So here's the principle. Here's the thing you and I learn. If in the moment the enemy came to get you, if you were full, then even honey wouldn't look good. That, that juicy worm does not appeal when you're full. Even fish turn down the juicy worm when they're full. What if you and I were full? What if you and I were so filled with the presence of God that when the enemy came, we went, I couldn't eat another bite. No thanks. You realize it's a way to absolutely beat temptation in our lives. So here's the challenge. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. What if for the next 30 days you and I overeat? Now, not literally. Some of the women are going, I'm trying to get in my swimsuit right now. No, not literally. Spiritually. Spiritually. What if for the next 30 days, what if you and I just simply said, I'm going to spend more time in the Word of God than I normally do, and I'm going to spend more time in prayer? So, so here's the deal. Now, some of you say, hey, I, I typically read the Bible for like 10 minutes a day. Okay, well then read it for 12, 13. Do a little more. And maybe you pray for five, we'll pray for eight. Do a little more. And I know some of us don't even have that time yet set aside. So read one chapter a day. And, and you go, well, Lynn, I don't even normally pray. Okay, all right, so then just simply pray this. Dear God, I don't know what to pray, amen. It's better than nothing. It'd be further than you are now. And what if you and I, for 30 days, over eight? What if we intentionally took more of God in? That when that moment of temptation comes, we go, dude, Satan, you're just out of luck, man. I'm stuffed. I'm stuffed with the presence of God. And I, I'm just telling you, the worm doesn't even look good right now. We wouldn't even begin the path. Let's pray. Here's what I'm going to ask. My guess is that all across this room, we saw ourselves at different points in the enemy strategy. Some of us said, man, I, I'm living all over curiosity, man. I've been, I've been getting as close to sin without sinning as I possibly could. And, and I get it. I'm vulnerable. I, I've, for no good reason, I've put myself about a half a thought away from something stupid in my life. Some of us in this room say, you know what, Lynn? I'm sweating bullets of temptation right now, man. I'm just telling you, I, I haven't done anything yet, but I'm just telling you, I'm like hanging on by my fingernails with resistance right now because the enemy's trying to convince me I need it. Some of us have said, you know what? My heart's already shifted. I, I've already said somewhere in my heart, if I could, I would. If I could avoid the consequences, if nobody would ever find out, my heart's already there. Some of you are living in known sin. And I'm just telling you, the people you love most 
are being hurt the most. And you get it. You get the sins and death. You get the enemy will not be satisfied till he ruins you with this thing. And the best thing you could do in this moment is repent and slide off the hook. Swim as far away from his boat as you can. And then overeat on God so that the worm doesn't even look good. Dear Lord Jesus, help us out. God, some of us, some of us can feel the hook setting in the roof of our mouth. Some of us, some of us, the hook is already set and we know we're in trouble. Help us get off the hook. God, take us back. Take us back to that place where we're living again in safety and we're living in your presence and fill us up with you. God, help us to avoid the boat. And this we pray in Jesus' name. He that's full loathes honey. Full fish don't take the hook. What if for 30 days you and I live so fully in the presence of God? What if we overate on God just to see what it would do? in this area of temptation in our lives. So I'm just telling you, I'm going to read more than I normally read. I'm going to pray more than I normally pray. And I'm going to ask you to do the same thing for the next 30 days. And let's just see how that turns out for you and me. If you need prayer, we've got counselors. They'll meet with you at the front. And the rest of you, go overeat.